thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Please join me in the book of Acts. We're going to look at chapter 2 of the book of Acts as introduction to the message today. By the way, happy birthday, church. It's the day that has been set aside for centuries, ever since the first century. If my calculations are correct, this is the 1993rd birthday of the Church of Jesus Christ. The first occurred on Pentecost. Pentecost is sort of a strange sounding term to us, but it meant a whole lot to the nation of Abraham. It was the Greek translation of what it represented. It's the 50th week is what it really represents. It was the end of the Easter celebration, as it were, for the newfound church. But what we do know is that this idea of Pentecost was rooted and still is in the Old Testament law. There are three festivals that are spoken of at least in one place. In the book of Leviticus chapter 23, there were seven festivals in all which were annually Observed, but three were mandatory for every male 20 years of age or older. And the one in the middle is this one, Pentecost. It was the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of First Fruits. And when it came time to observe the feast in Jerusalem, the passage which we're about to read, there were 120 believers of Christ who were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do when he gave his last orders. They had been for 10 days in the upper room where Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. And they were praying day and night. They were praying in accordance with what Jesus had told them about what was going to happen. They didn't know all the details, but all of a sudden there was a mighty rush of wind. And cloven tongues of fire that came down upon those 120. And all of a sudden they started speaking in a language they did not know. And there were various languages represented among those 120. Because, remember, the diaspora, which simply means literally the spreading of seed, and hundreds of years before, due to persecution by invading forces, the Jewish nation largely still resided in what we now know as Israel, but many of them were scattered. And with the scattering came the Hellenization of them. And that means they became enculturated to Greek culture. And by this time, Roman culture, which really is a child of the Greek culture. And they're praying, and all of a sudden, They can speak in languages that would be able to be heard by the people that they shared with that day in Jerusalem. This story is awesome, isn't it? This is the way the church got started 
Holy Spirit was the one who started the church. And we're going to honor the Holy Spirit today. He's not one who pushes hard for being honored. In fact, it is His nature, Holy Spirit's nature, to shy away from center stage. He knows what His responsibility is within the Godhead. His responsibility is to shine the spotlight on the person of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said about the Spirit? Jesus says in John 15, 26, about the Holy Spirit, called the Helper, of course, this Holy Spirit is going to be one who testifies, witnesses to the person of Jesus Christ. And He has left us as His church today to pick up the ball where the previous generation have left it and go forward being representatives of the Holy Spirit and, of course, the Jesus whom we know, whom the Holy Spirit introduced us to. I'm just going to go ahead and say it before I forget it. The Holy Spirit's primary work in any human being's life is to regenerate that person. And you're saying, what are you talking about? I'm talking about what the Bible says that you and I, when we were born the first time, we were dead on arrival spiritually. There was a void in us. That void had been in the heart and mind of every human being who had been born in the earth, in the history of the world, because of the sin of Adam. That is true of every human being. The most innocent baby. I love babies, don't you? I love to hold babies. I just see the wonder in the creation of God and look forward to a great future for the children. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had 19 children in just this service whose parents dedicated them to the Lord. What a joy to be a part of that. But even those little folks, they will not have to be taught how to sin. It comes naturally. They could have the best example of a Christian mother and daddy anybody could want, but they're still sinners. And they're dead, and they don't un- inside. And they're, they're, where their spirit was initially meant to be, all humans, that was vacated by the Holy Spirit when Adam and Eve sinned. And so what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? He comes and He reveals Jesus to us. And then, where does He take up residence once we come to know Christ? In our spirit, God comes to live in us. Unbelievable. But this Holy Spirit is not an it. People have throughout history tried to think of Holy Spirit as some impersonal force. Well, He's a force but He's anything but impersonal. He is personal to the max. He's so personal that He condescends, stoops to live inside of me, knowing everything there is to know about me because He's omniscient. He's God. But He still comes to live in us. And He dwells in us, not primarily for our benefit. It is for our benefit, but primarily for the glory of God. Remember what Jesus teaches in John 15? He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. 
And he says, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit has fruit, doesn't He? Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What a Savior. What a, what a God we have. But He also is the one who ensures that people are born again. Given life. He is the Spirit of life after all. The author of that kind of eternal life. We know Jesus is the life too. And you can see some overlapping. It's not because there was confusion on God's part or the Spirit's part when they put the Bible together for us through people. It's because they are of the same essence. Does it ever confuse you that there's a triune God? Three in one? How does that work? Well, I'm not here to unravel that puzzle for you completely. But this is what I do know. Each one of them has a particular role to play, and the Holy Spirit's primary role is to reveal the Lord Jesus so that we can know Him and have Him as our Lord and Savior, and we can be part of the vanguard that's moving forward in history to represent Christ. Have you ever thought about the word represent in the English language? It could be pronounced this way, represent. We are to represent Jesus once He comes to live in us. He has singled us out to do that. Well, I'm working up a sweat here. I'm going to have to settle down. <laughs> but look, Holy Spirit, His main responsibility is to regenerate us. Remember Nicodemus? His story is told in the third chapter of John. He comes to Jesus by night. And he's inquiring. He's curious about Jesus. He's not sure about Him, but he's curious. And Jesus read His mail, evidently, and He knew exactly what He was thinking. And then He said to him, Unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. If you are born again, the Holy Spirit's the one who initiated that birth in you. That's a good thing to think about, isn't it? On any day, especially on Pentecost, where we highlight the Holy Spirit and we know who He is. He is God of very God. In the book of Acts chapter 5, if we were to turn there, we would see the episode of a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? They hatched a plot together. They were probably equally guilty. And their plot was to gain points in the new community of the church. They had some land and they talked, well, let's sell this land because they had seen a person like Barnabas, for instance. His story is told in the fourth chapter of Acts how this man was so generous. And he sold a piece of property and brought all of it and left it at the feet of the apostles. He was not the only one who did that. And we know that that was a movement of the Spirit of God in Barnabas' life and many unnamed people. But they said, hey, let's sell it and we won't have to give all the proceeds, but we'll get a lot of the glory because we're going to take it and act like we 
took all that we got from it and gave it in the name of the Lord to the church. Well, Ananias came in. He was the one who delivered the money and he was called out. He was called out by the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit gave Peter insight that was not natural, supernatural insight. And he said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then before you know, it, 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 those words had not gotten out of his mouth till boom, he was dead on a doornail. His wife came in about three hours later and his body had already been sent to the burial ground. There was no way to preserve the body, at least among the Jewish people. They would bury as quickly as possible. And in she walks and she gives the same story. And about the time she finishes her story, who would walk in but the detail who had gone to bury her husband. And so, here again, Peter told her what he knew and she knew. And he said to her, why would you lie? Not this time to the Holy Spirit. Listen. Why would you lie to God? God is represented in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. He's a person. And He's very personal. He is very much like that because of who He is. That's our God. Our God is a personal God. Father, there was no other religion of that day and nobody else can approximate it throughout the history of a God who is so loving for us that He would give His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I doubt if there's a man in this room who would offer your son up for sacrifice for somebody. You might give your own life depending on who the person was, but you sure wouldn't often open up your son to that. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the Gospel. It's motivating, isn't it, to think about. It's humbling. But it's the truth of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is altogether God. What I mean by that is His essence is the same as the essence of God the Father and God the Son. If you put all three of the members of the Godhead in one setting and there was a situation that needed acting upon and each one of them acted upon it, they would all act in the same way because it's who they are. God is love, the Bible says. And God is also holy. He's both fully loving and fully holy. Holy Spirit. Well, let's go now and look at the first 12 verses of the second chapter. I told the 8 o'clock service that we were just going to read the first, actually, 12, 13 verses. But, you know, I just kept reading. Read the whole thing. You know? I'm keeping the the music people from doing their thing. Aren't I right? I'm sorry. Got carried away. Okay, so let's read beginning with verse 1, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was given, giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. That's amazing, isn't it? They were, that was the miracle, the hearing in their own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking, aren't they Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement, great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, saying, they are full of sweet wine. You know what happened? Peter gave this great message. And if you were just to read it deliberately, it wouldn't last eight minutes probably. And there was such a response. 3,000 people came to know Jesus by the Holy Spirit in that setting. Let's move past this. And when I mean past this, we know what the primary work of the Holy Spirit is. What is it? To give us salvation. To come and reveal Christ to us and we in turn yield our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to look with you at some other things that the Holy Spirit continues to do. He continues to give people eternal life. As many as believed in Christ, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of the flesh, but born of God. That would be the Holy Spirit of God, born again by the living and abiding Word of God. Let's look at several aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit. We know who He is. We know what His primary role is. Let's look at some of the finer points of what He's doing right now for you and for me and others in the world who know the Lord and love the Lord. The first thing I'm going to mention, and there is a certain artificiality, not in the sense that what I'm saying is not true, but you'll understand there's some overlapping in these six things that I'm going to point out. There probably are 60 more that I'm missing, but I know these are taught in the Scripture. Here's number one. He sanctifies us. That raises a very big question. What does the word sanctify mean? It means to be set apart by God for His service and His glory, simply put set apart by God for His service and His glory. So, this is what the Bible says. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 2, Peter introduces his epistle 
by identifying himself as an apostle of Christ. And then he goes on in that introduction to describe those to whom he wrote as chosen ones, chosen according to the foreknowledge of the God and Father of us all, and by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Here again, what we've looked at so far is underscored that the Holy Spirit's work in the Godhead, and of course, by obeying Jesus, all have a role. We know that, don't we? We need to be more familiar with the role of the Holy Spirit and grateful for Him for all that He does. He sanctifies us. You know how He does it? Well, He's God. We know that. But He does it by His Word. Who is the author of Scripture? Is it Peter? Is it John? Is it Moses? Is it David? Well, yes, they all had a hand, no pun intended, in it. But it was the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it's the Holy Spirit who moved them. He did not violate their uniqueness in the sense of the natural bents they had in their minds and the way they would express themselves. He all, all, always was ready to give them the thoughts. They were men after God's own heart. And there were women also. We know there are books in the Old Testament, particularly they're written by women. So people who were submitted to the Lord, they were used to give us what we call our scriptures today. It's the word of God. It's the word of the Holy Spirit. In John 17, 17, Jesus says to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The Holy Spirit speaks to us primarily through his word. Is that true for you? When you pick up your Bible and you start reading it, do you expect to hear from God through reading it? And you may not even expect it, but He speaks to you. Well, that's God speaking to you and to me through the Word of God. He speaks to us. And isn't it wonderful that He would consider that? Jesus speaks uh, in this way about Holy Spirit. He said, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper that He might be with you forever. And He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that you have heard from me. Now he was speaking to a very select group, the apostles. But what did the apostles do with what Jesus told them to do with it? They wrote it down. They were under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies you and me from the Word of God. He sets us apart by the Holy Word of God. Many of you are familiar with the seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor that are given to us in the book of Revelation. And each one, I know you have read it probably, and you know you could quote, Jesus sounds like a broken record. He says the same thing at the close of each of these individual seven letters. And what is it? Let him who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Where does the Spirit speak? He speaks from the Word of God. 
And so when we pick up this book, we are all, all hoping and we will hear from the Lord speaking to us. And He speaks to us about promises He's made to us that we are certainly able to claim as children of God. He speaks to us in commands that we are to obey. And we do obey. We do His will. The Holy Spirit moves us in the direction of obeying God when He speaks to us. And so we are sanctified. We are used by the Lord. We are to glorify Him. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says this, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, it's talking about behavior that's incompatible with being a follower of Jesus. If a person cleanses himself, in other words, goes to the Lord, confesses, repents, cleanses himself, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, listen, sanctified, and then the next phrase modifies what it means to be sanctified. Useful to the master. Who is the master? Jesus is the master. Are you such a devotee of Jesus Christ? Are you a person who has that heart? Not all the time, but when you're right on with the Lord, you want to do what He wants, right? You can't do it on your own, though. You have to know what it is, and then you have to have the power to obey because it's He, the Holy Spirit, who gives us the power to obey Him. Here's another characteristic of the work of the Holy Spirit. He sanctifies us, but also the Spirit supervises us. Now, what am I trying to get out here? I'm trying to emphasize that the Holy Spirit is designed in the economy of God to take control of your life. Are you aware that if you know Jesus Christ, you had help to know Him? Hopefully you've caught that so far. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, this is what Scripture says. No one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who calls us out of death into life, and He is the one who helps us to say Jesus is Lord. In what we call the Roman road, it's a neat little idea people have put together about how to witness to people. And one of the things we have to do, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. How do I get the power to confess that Jesus is Lord? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible for putting me in that position. And it's about His work in my life and our lives that we would come to know Him. And what does the Scripture say? We are saved from our sins. Our sins are paid for in full as we trust in Christ. Of course, this goes along even further with what we've talked about so far. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord, capital L, O-R-D, the Lord is the Spirit. We tend to think of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know in the Old Testament, God is known often as Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. Yes, but the Holy Spirit is Lord too. 
And lordship means that he is our supervisor. We dare not do anything in life without the awareness that we need to be trusting the Lord. And you might say, that's okay for you, Mike. I have to make a living somewhere. Well, I understand that to a degree. I don't understand it fully as you understand it. But what God wants us to do is depend on Him for everything. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in the book of Philippians, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to say, through Christ, I can do everything. You see, this is the pattern that the Lord would have us as He supervises us. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me colloquialize this. Y'all keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word filled, of course, it gives the picture of something that is empty and needs to be filled. But that's the secondary meaning of the way in which the word is used. If you follow the way it's used in the Old New Testament, rather, what you'll discover is the basic idea is to be controlled by. It's used in the book of John 14, for instance, how the apostles were filled with fear and anxiety. And so we understand that we're to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when He's in control... When there's no doubt in my mind that I'm yielding myself to Him, then I yield myself to Him and then He can use me as He sees fit as I yield myself to Him. And His supervision comes not from outside, but it comes from inside. Why? Well, in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, the Bible says, What do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy of Holies really is the word. Don't you know your body is the holy of holies of the Spirit of God who is in you? Wonderful. Amazing. But that's the truth. Jesus comes by the Spirit. They indwell us in our souls. We need not wonder about having enough power to live the Christian life. Who lives in us? Holy Spirit, does He lack power? Absolutely not. He has all the power we will ever be able to use in a lifetime. And it's not like uh, uh, the superheroes in the, what is it, the MCU universe or whatever, whatever that thing is, or the DC people. I mean, those, those are fun to watch, but we know better. Those people aren't able to do all that stuff. But God lives in us and He wants to use us to represent Him to other people. Yeah. I uh, remember reading about a, a novice woodpecker and he was about to be sent out on his first solo woodpecking tour. And he was a little nervous about it but he found a good tree that looked like would be full of little critters that he could eat and take back and share. And the very instant that he first hit the tree with the beak of his bill, when he hit it, then the tree was hit with lightning and split right down the middle. And it just knocked him out, didn't kill him. And when he woke up, he said, I didn't know I had it in me. 
Well, you don't know what you, you have in you, and nor do I, really. We do to a degree. And we're not talking about the spectacular here. The mundane, as we call it, is really the place that most of the demonstration of the power of the Lord is in relationships. What is the characteristic that tops the list of what is called the fruit of the Spirit? What is the first characteristic? Love. Love. And that love is a love that's totally selfless. It's the sacrifice of self in the service of other people. Now I'm going to get off the stage here just a moment. Get out of the picture of the, if they're live streaming this. And I want to read you a quotation or two from antiquity sources that were secular. And this was a report that Aristides, who was a servant of the emperor Hadrian, the Roman Empire, from 117 to 138 AD. And listen to what he wrote about this sect of Christus, as he called it. Listen. They love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he was a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Spirit of God. Wow. The powerful tool of a life that is selfless, that can only be explained by the Spirit of God living and moving and giving that kind of supernatural love. Arguably the greatest apologist for the Christian faith in the first two or three hundred years of the existence of the church was a man named Tertullian. And people who have studied that era of church history, the first three centuries, will tell you to a person, I'm talking about believers now, they will tell you that Christians outloved pagans hands down. They will also tell you that Christians outthought the pagans. And when we live in a world which is constantly on attack against the trustworthiness of the Bible and all kinds of things that we know are part of being a follower of Jesus Christ and they're always on the lookout for somebody to nail, what we know is, hey, we have minds too. And we need to use them. Not to make an idol out of our minds, but to love God with our minds. Didn't Jesus say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Didn't He? Yes. And it's not like you have to be a high IQ person. Just read the Word. And you know what you're going to become like? You're going to be a woman or a man who has the mind of Christ. Why? Because that's what the Bible is about. It's the ultimate piece for apologetics. It is to use our minds in tandem with what the Holy Spirit teaches us in the Word of God to glorify Him. Listen to what Tertullian wrote about the witness of believers in the early third century. We are, but our, we are but of yesterday, meaning Christians had not been 
around very long, just over a century. We are but of yesterday, and we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. We need that kind of movement, don't we, in the church of Jesus Christ? That we would be people who realize who we are. We are child, children of the living God. And we are people in whom God the Holy Spirit indwells. And Jesus reveals His mind to us by the Spirit in the Word of God. And we're not to be on some kind of rampage, ransacking everything. But if we believe what God says about the Holy Spirit and about us, then we can be used to glorify Him in a way that is direly needed in this day. The power of Jesus, He says, of course, when He's about to leave the apostles, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses throughout the world. And so, when we are walking by the power of the Spirit, as J.I. Packer, the great Anglican his theologian said, we're in step with the Spirit. That's his interpretation of what it means to walk by the power of the Spirit. He outlines that in his book on that part of Galatians chapter 5. So we are people who walk it out and we follow Jesus and we do as Jesus did and we speak as Jesus spoke. Adolf Harnack, who was anything but a conservative Christian, but the leading historian around the turn of the 20th century, listen to what he said. We cannot hesitate to believe that the great mission of Christianity was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. That was the secret. Every Christian, not just a formal order of missionaries supplied by the Christians at home, considered it his or her obligation to bear witness. When we know Christ and we know our position in Him and we know our commission from Him, we share Him. And lo and behold, He uses our stumbling and bumbling with our presentation of gospel and presentation of Jesus and people get saved. Isn't that amazing? Unbelievable. Here's a third thing. I'm going to have to hasten here. Holy Spirit also sensitizes us. In John 16, 7 through 11, you can look it up at your leisure. It talks about when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says, He will convict, that means convince. He will convent, con convict, convince the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And He continues to do that sort of work in our hearts. Doesn't He? If you know Jesus... Does it bother you when you sin? If it doesn't, you probably don't know it. And I'm not being ugly. I just know what He does to me and other people who know Him. And I mean, we think we're going to have a little fling, whatever that means to you or to me. And man, we regret it almost immediately if you're walking with the Lord because He lets you have it. He spanks you. And we need it. We need discipline. Those whom I love, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline. And look at what David said. David had his problems, didn't he? But he was a man after God's heart. 
he fell into more than one trap, but one verse from Psalm 38, David says, I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. When people come to me and they say, Mike, I'm, I'm very anxious. And I ask some questions and I say, that is not altogether a bad sign because of what you've told me about your thinking and your acting at this point. Because it's the Holy Spirit coming and saying, that's not compatible with me. I'm in you. I mean for you to create a good habitat for me in your heart. So the Holy Spirit sensitizes us to our sin. David says in Psalm 51, 10 and 11, you remember it? He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and deliver me, Lord. Deliver me. Help me to be a man who doesn't lose the Holy Spirit. He was concerned he would lose the Holy Spirit. We will never lose the Holy Spirit. This is my belief, and it's not because I want it to be. It's because it's what the Bible teaches. Once the Spirit comes to live in us, He doesn't leave us. We can grieve Him. We grieve Him when we don't put up with other people who are annoying to us. And we just shut them out. Or we say ugly things to them instead of finding a way to lay down our lives for them in loving them. That does not mean we do not confront them when they need to be confronted with their sin. Not at all. But what it does mean is we say it in such a way that it doesn't put them down. And people can know the difference. Have you ever had someone who came to you and just blew you away because of something you were doing or were not doing as a Christian? And then had someone come who may have addressed the very identical thing and it was a totally different scenario. It's because one's doing it in his or her own power. The one who is ultimately successful in restoring is the one who does it gently but firmly. So we understand that. Here's the fourth thing. In addition to sanctifying us, supervising us, and sensitizing us to our sin. He makes us clean. He sanitizes us. How does He do it? By the blood of Christ. That's how He does it. And the Bible talks about this. It doesn't need any elaboration. And I want to be clear when I say He sanitizes us, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And how far does He remove it from us? As far as the east is from the west. That's as far as it can get. Because east never catches up with west, nor west with east. So what we know is that he wipes the slate clean. He does sanitize us, but he does not sterilize us. This is just an aside. When an animal is sterilized or a person is sterilized, they can no longer reproduce, if I understand correctly. But the Lord saved you and me to reproduce spiritually. And He wants that for us, but He knows He needs a clean vessel to do that. Not perfect, but someone who is yielded to Him and is growing. The fifth thing is He synchronizes us. Ephesians 4.3 says, 
Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, be together, be in sync with each other. Whatever it takes, live in that kind of relationship. This echoes the Old Testament Psalm 133, where it says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the oil coming down over the head and beard and down over the garments all the way to the feet of Aaron. Who was Aaron in the history of Israel? He was the first high priest. And who is our high priest? Jesus Christ. Correct? And so we, when we're in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ in that kind of relationship, we are people as a church who are people who represent Christ in tandem with each other. There's power in numbers, isn't there? In the sense of people who are committed to the Lordship of Christ under the banner of the Holy Spirit. And then the whole matter of spiritual gifts, if we were to look at Rome, 1 Corinthians 12, what we would discover is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every member of the body so the body can function just like a human body that's healthy can function properly and then give a good conveyance for Jesus Christ himself. And then the last thing is he satisfies us. In John chapter 7, we've read it not too many months ago, when Jesus is at one of the great festivals in Jerusalem, the tabernacles. He says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And then parenthetically, John says, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit drinking out of the fountain of life that Jesus gives. And the Holy Spirit will use us to be satisfied with our own lives, but to other people too. We're satisfied. Jesus says in one of the Beatitudes, He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Satisfaction is found in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. When General MacArthur left the Philippines in a state of disgrace from his own point of view, he hated to leave that island, those islands, because they were such sweet people and they were so vulnerable to Japan. He said, I will return. Do you remember that? I shall return. When he got on the amphibious carrier and got back to the, the destroyer and got out before it was too late. And then when he did come back, he kept his promise. Kept his promise. And he got back. And when he got there, there was a special ceremony for him. A whole battalion of Filipino soldiers were in formation. And they called the rolls. And they'd done this every day since MacArthur had left and his name was called out to his surprise, General Douglas MacArthur. And then an enlisted sergeant had been given the role of answer, present in spirit. Jesus left this world. But 
the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father at the request of the Son. And Jesus is present in this room by His Spirit. And we are privileged beyond imagination as we think about this day, Pentecost, and how the Holy Spirit came and He's still working. And we pray He would work even more in our individual lives and in the life of His church here and all over El Paso, the state, Mexico, and all over the world. Lord, thank You for the Word of God that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. 